You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. Um, wonderful. Thanks for joining me on the sofa. I do like this Sunday because I get to sit down. <laughs> it's just, it's no, this is nice great. Sofa. I've been on my bike this morning, so this is a really nice being able to actually sit on the sofa. It's great. And not having to chase kids around as well. <laughs> not yet, although not they, yet. they can chase you now because you're in one place. <laughs> um, great. So it would be great just to kick off to tell us you know, a bit about yourself and your faith journey, sort of what, what led you to Oasis, because I know as well as what we're talking to you about today that you're, uh, you're also part of Oasis Church Bath, which is great. So yeah. Um, tell us a bit more about you. So uh, I'm a father of three. Here's my little list. Hey, <laughs> uh, I'm married to Anna. I'm from Manchester originally, or just outside Manchester. Um, I was raised Catholic, but um, I guess kind of teenage years didn't involve much church. And I, when I finished university, I actually moved and lived in South Korea um, for a couple of years and taught English and... Um, I'd say I was quite far away from, from God. And my mum my said to me, I came home on Christmas, and my mum said to me, the problem is, Andrew, obviously if you're in Andrew, trouble, your yeah. mother says, Andrew, <laughs> uh, you've, you've never met Jesus. And, and I was, you know, I think I was 23. I was like, okay, mum, whatever. Um, and I, I remember sit, sitting on the plane coming back to Korea and kind of not being that enamoured about the life that I was going back to, um, and, and I, I, so I, I kind of ended up praying on this plane, and it was a slightly ridiculous prayer, because I started off kind of saying, okay, God, well, if you're real, then, you know, I'm really interested, in fact, I'm really open, in fact, probably I'm almost desperate, but, you know, I didn't really want to acknowledge that, but, I, you know, I'd really like to know, um, and then I, as I kind of was praying this prayer, and I was like, and if you are real, then I'd really like some new chairs for my apartment. <laughs> and then I was kind of like laughing. Is this, does this, is this a prayer? Is this valid? Um, but my apartment that I lived in in Seoul, I just never got around to getting armchairs. And so, I, I mean, I was a proper still student. My bed was in the front room. That was where I sat. And so, um, so I got off the plane and... I went back to my apartment, and as I arrived back at my apartment in Seoul, the landlord, who's a really nice, older Korean chap, was outside putting two armchairs outside <laughs> the apartment, and, um, and I said, you know, hi, happy new year, and he said, oh, hi, I've just got some new chairs, and in Korea, people just put things out, there's no dump, people just take things, it's like, do you want them? And I said, yeah, great. And I remember going upstairs and literally the thought process in my mind was no deal, God, because there was a first part to this prayer, which was show me that you're real and I want some new chairs. So that's only part two. Um, and so a couple of days later, I used to play for a Korean football team. And in the middle of the game, out of nowhere, an opposition player who is Korean-American came up to me. I mean, literally in the middle of a football game, it's one of the most bizarre things that's happened, and said, do you believe in Jesus? And I was like, what? And I was so annoyed at him. And I, was, I think I just thought, I mean, I'll show you that you don't really, that, you know, that you're not really a proper Christian. I was like, if I foul him enough, <laughs> then, then, then he'll show his true colours. So I became this, like, you know, determined to, you know, like, 
provoke a reaction out of him. But he was actually just a really nice guy. Um, and at the end of the game, he came up to me and very graciously said, oh, you know, well played. <laughs> he could have said other things to me. Um, and then he said, so do you um, believe in Jesus? And I said, I don't know. I honestly don't know. And he said, well, do you want to talk about it? And I, and I said, yeah, but why did, you, why did you ask me that question? It's, like, it's obvious. You know, during the game, Jesus said, go and ask that person because he's got some questions. And so he was um, like, a, a, I can't, can't think of the word, but he, he kind of a missionary, but, you know, he was kind of um, Korean-American, living in Korea, and he felt compelled to go and spread the gospel. And he ended up coming around to my apartment, and we sat on my now two new chairs uh, and did a kind of version of the Alpha course. I guess that's how I became a Christian. Wow. And then when I moved back to London, um, so this is now 2005, um, it was quite hard because all my university friends weren't Christian. And so I really struggled with how do I embody this. And a friend um, from university's sister, um, I saw her on a night out. She said, oh, I go to this quite cool church in London called Oasis. Um, you might like it. So I went to Oasis, but there was the Sunday morning service for like everyone who was okay with church and the Sunday evening service for everyone who was like not okay with church. <laughs> and so we went to the Sunday evening service, which is like very edgy, we thought, uh, and, you know, like quite kind of, um, there's a lot of artists there. So, you know, I remember like one evening we, we were talking about kind of freedom and we all ended up standing in a circle with someone had bought the biggest, heaviest chain and we all chained ourselves up. It was like that kind of like very creative, immersive experience. And then eventually I started going to the Sunday morning service. So, yeah, I joined Oasis 17, 18 years ago. Um, and... Yeah, haven't haven't looked back really. Yeah. So, with just the final piece of the puzzle, then what brought you to Oasis Bath rather than Oasis Waterloo? Yeah, it's strange actually. I I I don't know if you were there, Joe, because I can't quite remember like the context. But Anna and I, so we we moved in 2018 to South Africa, and we lived in South Africa um, with Oasis. We took a year and a half out. Um, and, and Anna and I actually met through Oasis. So um, Anna had been in South Africa and separately to me. And Arnie, who's the CEO of Oasis South Africa, introduced us. But anyway, I think it was just before we left, Steve Chalk announced, um, oh, we're taking on a new church in Bath. And I don't know if you were there when it was I think announced. I'd come to, like, introduce... Well, it was just, yeah, I remember... Because I think it was, was before we went to South Africa. I Maybe. think it... Was it, but what, did this happen in 2018? I can't remember exactly the timings, but I remember literally Anna and I had never been to Bath ever, and we just looked at each other and just went, Bath. <laughs> and that was it. Like, it was literally that moment of, okay. And I think because we moved to South Africa and, and that felt quite a kind of leap, Bath didn't feel quite so <laughs> difficult. <laughs> so we were like, yeah, we'll go to South Africa and then we'll move to Bath. And we probably should come at some point and see it. We did, and we liked it. So then we just decided to move. I'm very glad that you did. <laughs> yeah, no, we are too. We love it. Yeah, seven good, months good in. Stuff. It's been great. Yeah, great. Um, and then, yeah, tell us about your job, which is obviously relevant to kind of what we're talking about today. But Yeah, so, yeah, so I work in leadership development and exec coaching, which I just kind of fell into. I didn't really know that that was a job until someone offered me a job. 
Um, but yeah, I work with leaders and teams and, um, you know, I, I think a lot of it is just really about how do we, how do we create more self-awareness? How do we build more compassionate kind of environments for people? And, and how do we, like, we often have some mantras that we trot out. One is like, how do we get to a point where we can have good conversations about difficult subjects rather than difficult conversations about difficult subjects. Because most times people have a difficult subject, their conversation is difficult. And I think that's why people bring people like us in, is actually we really want to get to a place where we can have the difficult topics and discuss them in a really good way. And a lot of that is just about how aware people are of themselves, how empathetic they are to other people, um, and, I, and I think that's why the Enneagram is such a great tool, as well as many other tools for just really helping people get more tuned into themselves. Um, and I think, you know, when you start, when you start realizing that you've got a load of kind of um, preferences or motivations or biases that mean that your construct of reality is not the actual truth, <laughs> that, that kind of is a really helpful starting point. Yeah. So who does that meet, like when you say you kind of work with leaders or like what sort of sectors or what sort of areas are those leaders from? Yeah, so we do loads of work in the health service, which, you know, for me as well was a real kind of, um, you know, alignment with my values. So I used to work, so I started working in leadership development like nearly 20 years ago. And the company that I worked for, you didn't really have any say about who you worked with. And so you might get a good company, but, you know, we also work with, I had arms companies, tobacco companies, you know, you, that, you just got given those clients. So I left and I wanted my business to be much more about well, who would I like to work with. So we do loads of stuff with NHS. So where my, I don't know if my kids are up, they've gone. Great. When my youngest was, my, when my eldest was born, she was very sick and she was in hospital for quite a long time. And so that, you know, kind of going through that and seeing the care that she got, you know, working with the health service was definitely a motivation. We do lots of work with tech, so that's quite different. Yeah. <laughs> so we work with um, people like Zoopla, although I do feel I, I, I never admit to them because their kind of ambition is to revolutionise the way people buy and sell homes. I'm like, I still use right move. Um, <laughs> but, but you're doing great, Zoopla. Well, we'll uh, cut that bit out of the podcast. <laughs> Um, we work with Trainline um, and you know some other tech businesses that we work with um, some big organisations like Boston Consulting Group, who are in many ways are not on alignment with values because their I mean their culture is literally get promoted or get fired. Um, but we we do a lot of work with them globally on on their culture and how do you create a more psychologically safe culture mm. where many of the incentives are stacked against that, which actually make people really afraid to speak up so oh, yeah. Um, yeah it's really interesting work yeah, different clients it, yeah mm. and so you mentioned the enneagram and that's kind of what we're going to move on to focus a little bit on because um, andy's very kindly doing a, an enneagram day for us um on the next this coming saturday isn't it mm. um so what i say a day it's going to be a morning so you know it's not not a full day but that's good so it finishes in time for lunch <laughs> <laughs> so nine till one and there's actually still a few places left if anybody still wants to, to book onto that um so yeah we thought obviously part of today would be great to just hear a bit but a bit more about the enneagram and um yeah what what that is so yeah maybe that's a good place to start what is the enneagram and what what is its purpose I mean, I should caveat all of this by saying, you know, as much as anyone, I'm a student of the Enneagram. You know, there's so much to learn. And, you know, I feel like I'm only scratching the surface. So I got qualified in it for 
years ago in South Africa. Um, and, you know, so my understanding of it is, you know, that the Enneagram is really an ancient system that I think in many ways describes the human condition, you know? I, I find it baffling that, like, 2,000 years ago or more, someone somehow came up with this. You know, how did someone discover this is... I find just mm. that itself really fascinating. But, you know, so I suppose on one level... It describes nine personality archetypes, which I've never met anyone who doesn't fit in those, and I think that's kind of incredible. But on another level, it describes motivation, not just behavior, you know, so it, it really is a, a kind of like, what is it that's subconscious in a lot of us that's driving us, often that we're not aware of, on another level down, you know, you can get into spiritual development because really the nine types, the seven, you know, the seven deadly sins, which obviously is a terrible term in itself, but that, um, you know, the nine types really do align with, you know, the, the kind of, um, you know, the vice for each type that we'd call it are, are the seven sins plus two. But also it's then the, um, the path to virtue, the path to growth, the path to integration, whatever language you want to use that it really points the way to okay well how do how do I kind of um, move from this kind of unconscious place where maybe some of these things kind of have a grip on me to this mm. more conscious place where I can now really embody my you know gift or calling or spiritual gifts in fact I'm going to read because I, I it's such a good quote, I, I, and I always butcher it. Um, and I think there's quite a lot in it. So, and I kind of alluded to it last week. But Ian Cron, who wrote the road back to you, um, says that you know, for him, because often people ask him, why does the enneagram have to be so negative? And he says uh, that the the enneagram highlights what has become the issue of us achieving our highest self. And until we reverse its momentum we're not going to realize peace and contentment. And so I think that's the thing is that really, you know, the Enneagram is often the mask that we have learned to wear mm. in the world. And until we see that we're wearing a mask, it's very hard to become whole. Yeah, okay. So nine sort of personality types. And I don't know if anybody else here has done you know, anything like Myers-Briggs or Strengths Finder or like, you know, the Colors One, I don't know what that's called. Or, but is and so in a way it's, it's similar, but different and what makes it different am I right in thinking that it's about motivation it's about where your motivation comes from yeah I mean I'm qualified in Myers-Briggs and you know DISC and insights those things are all good um but they do just describe preference and behavior and they don't tell you why okay. yeah so I think yeah the Enneagram yeah the, the kind of motivation bit, bit is key but also the other thing in the Enneagram is, you know, there's nine, it's all about the triads, which I think, you know, as a Christian is quite interesting. But, you know, there's a tr the, the, if you kind of zoom out, really the Enneagram is the centers of expression are, are action, thinking, and feeling. And so each of those types sits in one of those yeah. centers. Um, so it also really describes more than, I think, you know, a lot of those other ones describe maybe more about how we think yeah. But this describes how we think, how we feel, how we act, and what's the kind of inter interrelation between those things. Yeah. Okay, cool. So in terms of your own journey and the Enneagram, like how's that, how's it kind of made a difference to you or helped you in your faith or your relationships or, or other examples? Oh, yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> let, let, 
<laughs> really, we're, sell, we're selling the morning well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really think if if you <laughs> if it if it isn't a, like one of those moments of like oh, <laughs> then you know, apart from any gram sevens who always go oh I'm a seven great, most of the people most of the people kind of go oh, and it was definitely that for me. It was a a, a kind of because I'm a two on the Enneagram, which is the considerate helper. And I really did think that I was doing all these things from a place of like just positive intent. And it was just other people who just didn't appreciate me enough. And it was that realization of, oh, pride is my issue. And I see it so much of so many things I'm doing. I'm, I'm wanting acknowledgement. I'm strategically giving. I'm trying to get my needs met. And I'm kind of giving and giving, but it isn't unconditional because then I'm really disappointed when other people don't do it back. It's really conditional. It's really like, I'm going to give this to you and you will notice and then you will do something back for me unasked for because I really don't like asking. For and so really starting to see that was quite painful. But I think with Anna and I, we did it as a couple and it really helped us to see, oh, that's why you do that. Thing, and that's why that bugs you about me. And, 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 and I think that gave us a language as well that we could become much more appreciative of one another and intentional about the conversations that we had. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, what about, what about your faith in terms of, does, is it, because I suppose the Enneagram is, a, is something that gives you more understanding. So does, do you feel like that's given you then more understanding of how you relate to God or how you live out your faith? I don't know. I feel like it makes me really curious, like, you know, and we can talk about this in a minute because I know one of your questions about, you know, the, the origins around, um, the, you know, the negativity of the Enneagram. But I'm really curious, like, so did Jesus not have an Enneagram type? <laughs> and, and, I, and I assume not. And, and so actually, I, I, you know, the, the tool that I'm qualified in, you know, the, the wisdom behind it says that a certain point of integration as if, and that's the Enneagram's language, integration, you will no longer be able to be typed. You know, you will have transcended that type. And so for me, I just find when I l look at the kind of personality of Jesus, you can see so many of the different facets of each type. And so I find that, maybe I find it encouraging that actually, you know, this kind of journey towards integration, I think Jesus is the most, integ you know, the in most integrated embodies all of the different, you know, the, the centers of expression of thinking, uh, action, feeling. Um, and I suppose for me personally, it just it makes me much more aware of what my stumbling block is mm. and what I, what I need to work on. But also what, what my virtue is. So yeah. the issue for the two is pride and the virtue is humility, right? So they obviously dovetail. They're two sides of the same coin. So, yeah, how do mm. I, in my faith journey move towards um, humility. So, I mean, I guess like a few years ago, I, I think this is okay to say, but a few years ago, we, we supported some people in, in Oasis Waterloo and I was so desperate to tell them that it was us and we did it without them knowing. And it was so dissatisfying. <laughs> I was like, well, how will they ever appreciate us <laughs> if, if they don't know that it was us that have done it? And now I, can, now I know oh, that's, that's because of this kind of, I can, I can work on it more and try and think about how do I take action that is genuinely humble versus 
kind of pseudo humble. It's okay. not easy. No, no. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, with, with some of those, you know, like the Enneagram, like Myers-Briggs, obviously there's criticisms to all of them, and, you, you know, you hear people say, oh, they put people in boxes, or, you know, and, and, and there are, I think there are some valid, some criticism. So what, what are some of, you know, you know, I've heard people say it focuses, like you said, or it's, it's not an easy thing, and it doesn't focus on, this is how great you are, and these are all the things that you can do. It's, yeah, it's hard, and it involves doing a lot of internal work, which can be quite hard, and, yeah, so what would be your sort of responses to some of the criticisms of the Enneagram? It is a bit countercultural, isn't it? We do live in an age where people want to play to strengths, and we want to, mm. you know, and I'm a big believer in that, and positive psychology, but, uh, you know, I do, and I think there's a place for all of that, so I, I don't think it's either or, but I've got one more quote, which um, I'm reading an old Richard Raw book at the moment called Adam's Return, which is really good, and he says... Um, the way to transmute the pain of life is to reveal the wounded side of all things and then place the wound inside a sacred space. And I think, you know, the, the Enneagram is that, it's the wound. In, you know, there's different, there's different perspectives on that depending on who you read, but really most people agree of the language of childhood wound, whether it's one moment or whether it's a kind of longer-term process. But actually... The, the Enneagram is what we learn to adopt in response to the world at a very young age, whether it's one thing that happens to us or over a period of time. And, and so I don't think you can escape that, that. You know, what the Enneagram is describing is woundedness. And it's that kind of thing of this mask that we wear has served us really well. It's not wrong. But at a certain point, it no longer serves us. Richard Rohr also says another great book of his is Falling Upwards, and he says, um, when you're under 30, success has got a lot to teach you, but as soon as you get over 30 or into the second half of life, really, you don't really need success. The only way you really learn is through failure, and, and I think that's the kind of truth is, it really does serve us quite well to have this kind of personality type, but at a certain point, it, it becomes a limitation. So, yeah, I think people might find that a bit uncomfortable, but that is the truth of if you kind of embark on the journey of wanting to learn more about yourself, then the, the Enneagram is, is going to offer you a place where you can be more of yourself, but first there's, there's something mm. that you might need to confront. The other thing to say about the boxing bit, if you look at the Enneagram symbol, I should have got you to put it up, it's actually quite dynamic. It's not fixed. In fact, it's got, you know, it's got this kind of funny shape. Every number connects to two other numbers. And, and it really is that kind of dynamic movement in the Enneagram. It's really not saying you're here. You know, for instance, as a two, I'm connected. My numbers are to um, eight and four. And I really like the idea of this kind of traveling along these lines of connection. So under pressure, I can really start to embody all the worst bits of the eight. And the A is the active controller. So I can literally go from, I'm really inclusive, everyone matters, like really <laughs> consider it, to like, right, this is what's happening. And it, and it literally is, a, it shocks people. And, and the other way, like the kind of my healthiest expression of myself is, is to go to four, which is the, um, the creative, the intense creative. And so actually, again, it's for me, I think of it more of where am I on these lines? at the moment, how, how far am I traveling up towards growth? How far am I traveling down 
towards, and again, the Enneagram would call it disintegration. So, so I really think when you look at it, don't think of being boxed at all. It really is quite a dynamic system compared especially to, you know, Myers-Briggs, which is a bit more of a kind of fixed you are and, you know, ENTP or whatever. So is the goal, sorry, now I'm just, I'm not looking, I'm just asking you questions yeah. that aren't on the list that I've sent you this week. Um, is, the, is the goal then to be more integrated and to be able to be more dynamic in terms of moving between the types depending on the situation you're in? Like, is that, is that the dream? You kind of said that, you know, Jesus had no, <laughs> no type. So is that because he was kind of so integrated that all of those things could... Well, I mean, I've yet to leave my type behind, so I can't answer, <laughs> I can't answer this from a Same. place of, you know, um, great insight. I am always asking myself that question, what is, what is the goal here? I think probably there's a couple. One is to become the most healthy expression of your type. I kind of think there is a reason for having all these nine types. So it's not that we don't need any of them. You know, actually, there's kind of great wisdom and gifts in all of them. So I, I don't think I subscribe to, you know, maybe more of a kind of Buddhist or mindfulness tradition, which is just about transcending it all and, like, not being limited by any of it. Because uh, the whole point of having a vice and a virtue, for me, would be that you, you live in your virtue. So I do, I personally, where I'm at at the moment, and it's an evolving understanding, I do think that that you will still always be that type, but it's like the healthiest expression of that. The Enneagram Institute, which is uh, another two of the kind of originators of, of the Enneagram, they talk about seven levels of integration, and the seventh is the highest, but you are still in your type, and that, that kind of seems to make the most sense to me. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, so I'm going to reshape this question slightly, so it sort of sounds like, you know, in a way it's, doing the Enneagram and going on that journey of self-discovery and you know it's hard because you have to really look at yourself and um so yeah and I, I suppose is that is that a good thing to almost warn people about that like it is going to bring stuff up it is going to be hard to sort and it's and it's really you've got to be prepared to do the work on yourself and to go down that that journey yeah when I got qualified in the Enneagram I got five free tests and so I just set about like hey who wants to do this and I had a, a senior person in Boston Consulting Group. She's like, this sounds great, I'll do it. And then after, so I did it as a coaching process. And afterwards, when we'd finished, she said, that was one of the best things I'd ever done. And you have to warn people because that was one of the most painful things I've ever been through. Um, and it isn't that for everyone. Yep. You know, so it isn't. But I, but I do think you have to be prepared that you may encounter, often personality types, people's response to Myers-Briggs is like, Oh yeah, I kind of know that. It's like, oh yeah, that just that just explains what I already know about myself. And often people go into the enneagram thinking this will just confirm what I already know. And often it doesn't. It confirms what they don't know and what they haven't acknowledged. So I think you have to be open to that. That might not be. That might be great, or it might not be. But yeah, I think you do need to have that. You know, willingness to to work on yourself. Yeah. I've got a good friend of mine in South Africa who's had a very tragic two years, who, he's only 30, um, and I met him when we lived over there, and he married his absolute dream wife, and she was amazing, and they were so happy together, and they'd only been married for less than a year, and she died of COVID, um, and she had an underlying heart condition, and she caught COVID because 
they were volunteering because that's the kind of people they were doing food distribution in Johannesburg. So not only did she die, he carries quite a lot of guilt about it was he that instigated the volunteering and, and then his wife died. And he wanted to do the Enneagram and I was you know, really long and hard. I said, I don't, I don't think you should. And he did it. And I, I get a report on people's report. It's a bit meta, but it tells me how accurate. So the, the, the test, if you do the online version, it will kind of keep throwing checking questions. Like, so you sound like you're a seven. Are you sure? And, and if you keep confirming, then it keeps... So you don't all get the same questionnaire. It's a smart questionnaire adapts. And his was so unreliable. And afterwards, when he got his type... He's like, I don't even know if this is me. And I was like, well, I, I, I think there's a high chance it's not. So I think if you've been through a lot of trauma, even answering the questions mm. can be really difficult. So I do think you need to be on some kind of solid ground yeah. in yeah. yourself to kind of say, okay, I'm pretty sure of where I'm at in my life at the moment. And I'm, and therefore I'm open to looking yeah. at this. Yeah. Okay. Now that's that's a helpful thing to <laughs> to, mm. to say. I think and warn warn people a bit. So, um, great. So we're going to take a break in just a minute. So if you do want to ask Andy a question, feel free to start writing that down on those little bits of paper. But final question from me. Obviously, this is kind of sitting in our life together series, and uh, we've been looking at a range of topics on on that sort of shared community life and and how to sort of I guess. Um, yeah, improve that, continue down that journey. So what do you think the Enneagram can offer the church specifically? Like the church, Big C, you know, why is this a helpful thing for churches to look at? Well, I mean, churches are just, we're just people, aren't we? And people, people fall out and get disappointed in one another. But in churches, people aren't very good at saying that, so they just get disappointed in one another. Uh, and then they leave or, you know, I, I just think actually, you know, being, I think sometimes like Christian niceness can just get in the way of like, we're all, we've all got our thing and can we be more appreciative of that and can we have more real conversations with one another? And, and also I think everyone's work is different. Everyone's kind of coming from a different place. So, I think the Enneagram gives you, you know, again, when you put it back in a spiritual dimension, there's loads of great practices for like, well, why am I terrible at meditation, you know, or contemplation? Maybe that just doesn't really suit your time. Maybe there's something entirely different that is a better way for you to, to connect and to pray and to, and to come into presence of God. So I think... There's loads in there for me. One is about how we relate to one another as people. The other one is like how we connect to God. Um, yeah, I was with on Friday. I was with the exec team of, of a big hospital, just very close to here, not in Bath. Um, and they just did the Enneagram in November, and it was really amazing hearing. So I asked them to say something since they did it, something that they'd noticed about their type with one another. And at the end of the day on Friday, they said, you know, we've literally never, we've never had a day like that. We've never had a conversation like that. And they, they, they fell in such a better place. And the, one of the reasons was, so I have these posters, which you'll see if you come to the Enneagram Day, if I'm allowed to stick them up. Um, and it says things like, you know, like biggest fear for your type. And so I asked them at the start of the day, what have you noticed? And, you know, the eight, the biggest fear is vulnerability. And this eight, who's a very strong person, started crying and said, 
I've been struggling so much the last two weeks and I've been so afraid to tell you all because I hate showing weakness. And it was just a real moment of like, oh yeah, that, like when you can get past that, it gives you a language and a way to get past it. And then there's a five and the five hates feeling overwhelmed and, and uh, hates looking foolish. And so someone said, you know that big argument we had? I was just, because I thought I was gonna look foolish and, and I didn't want to look foolish. And it, all of a sudden, like, it just changed the nature of the room and the conversation. So I think it gives you a, a way to go to a level that you just, in my experience, can't get to very quickly. You can get there a lot quicker with the Enneagram. Okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, we'll take a five-minute break. So do write down your questions for Andy on the little bits of paper. And if you've got a question, if you could just come and put it on the, the bottom step so I can make sure that I... I grab that and ask it and yeah we'll come back together in about five minutes so do help yourself to more tea and coffee and the pastries i might not be able to answer it by the way but <laughs> ask away so um i should say that andy may may say he doesn't know <laughs> to some of these answers which is absolutely fine um and you know obviously there'll be there'll be conversation there'll be chance to chat to andy at the end so it may be timing wise that we don't get through all of the questions and um, so if we don't don't um, yeah, don't be offended. Please feel free to, to go and chat to Andy um, at the end. Um, so, which one shall we start with? Um, why don't we do the... It's a really good question. Um, and again, you might not know the answer, but how does... I can't find it now. Yes, how well does the Enneagram work for neurodivergent people? That's a great question. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, I haven't, I, not knowingly used it with anyone who would, who's presented and brought up, you know, that they're autistic or anything else that would be considered neurodivergent. So I'd, I'd, I don't know. I mean, I could have a hypothesis that there may be, you know, like for instance, you know, knowing people who are, um, autistic or have Asperger's, that they may be more likely to show up in certain types, like that they might be more likely to be, for instance, a five who is like very focused on, uh, you know, information and, and enjoys kind of uh, like focusing on one thing at a time. But I don't know, that's just a hypothesis. I don't actually have any data for that. So um, I am purely speculating. I mean, I suspect that... Um, with the tool that I use, that that I have, I have had difficulties actually with people um, filling in, even who are dyslexic, um, because that's difficult. Because the the questions, if you've ever done any of these, it sometimes seems like it's asking you the same question again. Have you ever done these things? They're like, yeah, I thought I just answered that one, but it, you didn't. But it's it's throwing up a slightly different question. So it, that can be quite difficult. I have had um, to help people. Um, and or get someone to sit with them to do it. Um, you know, a lot of the kind of Enneagram before you got these tools and the one that I'm qualified in is, is you know, is very sophisticated, but the tradition is the narrative tradition, right? Which is like, literally you would have people like this on a panel and, you know, maybe Joe would be interviewing, you know, me as a two and someone else as a seven and someone else as a five and it would literally be, which one are you resonating with? And that would be how you'd start to um, type yourself so again I suppose there's a uh, to do that there's 
probably requires some empathy and, and some ability to resonate. So I, d I, don't, I don't know. Um, I'd be really interested to find out, but I can't say any more than that at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then someone's maybe a couple of questions here. So, um, <coughs> excuse me, how frequently does one's type change? And then probably the second part is about the sort of nature or nurture. So, um, yeah, m maybe kind of around is do you have like one type in childhood? Does it change with trauma or with experiences? Um, so, yeah, I've just said, I mean, that's maybe mm. two questions. So, does one's type change and maybe almost what, what maybe creates your type or then causes your type to change? Yeah, so that. The theory of the Enneagram says that you only ever have one type. If I go to my friend at the moment, I don't think his type has changed. I think trauma is obscuring his ability to even identify that type. He's living in such, such trauma that when you're in that trauma and the, the kind of the pain of that, like how, how do you even start to, you feel different all the time. And so... So, so I don't think his type has changed. It's just very hard for him because I suppose to be able to um, identify your type, you really need to be able to step into the present moment. And anyone who knows anything about trauma, I know a little bit because my wife is a trauma specialist, yoga instructor. Uh, trauma keeps you out of the present moment. It keeps you trapped somewhere else. So, um, so I, I, I think that would be difficult. But I think... to to the first part of the question, your type doesn't change. And some people do have a problem with this idea of childhood wound, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to be one event. It is really like, you know, what's the story that you adopt about yourself in the world? So type eights adopt a story about the world that the world is a, is, is, is a hard and unjust place and only the strong survive. Um, type sevens, adopt a different story they often subconsciously often felt that they didn't necessarily receive enough love or care from their primary caregiver and so they learned to escape that in the world of ideas and possibilities um i haven't i don't tend to delve into that when i'm working with groups and maybe there's another question which you just showed me which this might answer which is, you know, there's a, a, in my profession, there's a real distinction between coaching and therapy or counselling. And therapy or counselling are very focused on from here back. Why did that happen? And what caused it? And where do you think that came from? And how could we understand that? And my job as a coach is focused from here forwards. Where do you want to go? And what's in the way of that? And how can working on this help you? And there are times as a coach where I have to say to people, it sounds like there's something that you need to deal with in order to make progress. And I, I can't help you. Do I'm not qualified to help you deal with that. I suggest that you, I can refer you to someone. But if it becomes a real barrier to making progress, if the past is a real barrier to making progress, then that needs dealing with elsewhere. Um, and so, you know, again, just to say with our Enneagram day, you know, what we're not concerned with is, and so you're a seven. Why do you think that happened? Who is your primary caregiver who didn't give you enough love? Like, let's talk about that. It's more about, so if you identify this as your type, what does that mean for you now? And how does that show up now? And, and what difference would you like it to make going forwards? And that's not to say that we ignore the past, but that we don't excavate the past as a, as a kind of primary means of exploring type. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, so um, I think we've covered it now, but yeah, someone expressed, you know, just asked about almost what happens if it, you know, it brings up stuff for people that they, they can't work through. Um, so yeah, I suppose at that point it would be, I mean, you know, I think we've said, haven't we already, about, you know, just it probably not being not being for people that are kind of in that place of trauma or, um, you know, aren't in a, a stable place where they can do the work on themselves, but also perhaps there are limitations to what we're, you know, that you're a coach and this day isn't about therapy or that actually if, if it brought up stuff, it would be about referring or recommending that people explore that in a therapeutic uh, relationship with a, yeah, a counsellor or a therapist rather than, yeah, uh, with, the, with you <laughs> or someone like you. Yeah, and again, that's not to say it can't bring up emotions. Like this session I ran on Friday, there's a lot of emotion because, you know, we had a three there who's... Um, again on the exec team for this hospital and three is typically you know the competitive achiever they're kind of relentless and when you invite a three to stop and to kind of encounter themselves that again can and did bring up some emotion and so it's not to say you know emotion isn't a sign that people need therapy <laughs> um you know but 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 i think it so in this present moment as we encounter ourselves it, it can bring things up for people but at the same time, it's um, if that is something that then it's brought this thing up, and I realise now, and I may need to do some more work on that. And you know, I think the important thing is that you can have any conversation you want. <laughs> like we're not, you know, I am not a kind of a, a, at all the kind of person who's like everyone will answer this question. <laughs> you know, so I think it's you kind of go you go as far as you want with it, and and if that brings up things for you, then you know people do need some help and advice about how to deal with that, I can signpost them. Great. Okay. Thank you. Well, we're sort of uh, out of time now, but like I said, if there was a question that didn't get, didn't get asked or that you'd like to ask Andy, please do feel free to, to chat to him at the end. So at Enneagram Day, there are about three or four places left um, and they will kind of fill up. So yeah, if you, if you if what you've heard today, is like, you're like, yep, I'm up for that and want to explore the Enneagram in more depth, it'll be sort of an introductory morning and then and the cost for that is only £10, but we don't want cost to be a problem. So um, we do have some uh, subsidised places as well. So again, just come and speak to me. You can sign up for the Enneagram Day through Church Suite. Um, and again, if you don't know what that is or just want to sign up some in some other way, just come and speak to me. <laughs> That's the easiest way. Um, yeah, and it also just worth saying, that for those that are on the Enneagram Day, uh, we're also going to run a, a four-session microhub after the day itself just to help sort of dig a bit deeper into your type. And um, yeah, and that uh, will involve taking the the test which has a cost of 45 pounds which doesn't go to me or andy or oasis it's just goes to the company who actually produced the tool which then gives you your full report uh, with your type so yeah, the microhub afterwards is obviously completely optional um, depending on whether you know whether you want to do the day and things and yeah if for those that have signed up for the day i will email you shortly with details of the microhub but i just wanted to wait till we've got everybody signed signed up so um great so yeah that's everything on the enneagram day thank you so much andy for joining us on the sofa it's been great and i feel like i've learned loads more i'm looking forward to, to the day as well so um, can, I, can i say one yeah, more yeah, yeah, one great. more brief thing yeah. i suppose just just the other thing to say is you know i'm conscious some of this maybe sounds a bit heavy and the enneagram is a bit but at the same time i just i find it really funny you know like actually i the number of times i just have to laugh at myself now because I just see that thing, oh, it's like, uh, you know, as soon as I think I've dealt with this pride, it's like, oh no, there it is again, <laughs> it's snuck, snuck back in. And I think that's the thing, you, can, you learn to, I, I learned to, and as people that I speak to or work with, to kind of just hold it a bit more lightly, 
Like it's no longer, this thing is no longer as in control. You know, I think um, I really like the expression, which is um, from jo John Whitmore, who's one of the originators of modern coaching. And he just says it brilliantly. He says, that of which I am unaware controls me. Awareness empowers me. And I think that's the thing is uh, the Enneagram creates awareness, which creates choice. <laughs> and as soon as we're aware, we now have a choice. Okay, what do I do with this thing? And I think that's the best thing about it is, you know, you, you pay attention to something, you see it, and it doesn't have to kind of dominate you in the way it did. And I think that's a gift. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.